Hello again, welcome back to the Manchester United podcast. Sam Homewood here, David Mayer alongside me as always, and welcome back from her holiday, Helen Evans. Hi. How was uh, Portugal, Helen? It was very nice and sunny and warm and just lovely to have a change of scenery. I bet you were really glad to doesn't look sunny. Did you not get out in it? <laughs> I know. This is the problem. You don't sunbathe when you've got three kids. Ah, right. You spend your, your time making food and... Johnny must be really brown then. <laughs> so what was it What was it like just going away? What, what was it like being on a plane? Do you know what I'm just going to say? It was complicated. Was it? Only because there's so much testing and then obviously we went when it was green and then it turned amber, which was a bit of a nightmare. So we've had lots of testing to do. But you know what? It's fine. We're in quarantine and we're all together, so it's all good. Happy go. days. Nice Happy days. Yeah. It's yeah. always better when we're together. I might use that line. If you're all locked in, it might be a good opportunity to speak to Johnny Evans. Just an idea. He's on money, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Right, before we get started, a quick reminder that the best place to listen to our podcast is over on the official Manchester United app, because there you can listen as well as watch the full episodes for free, which is pretty sensational. Right now, we're continuing to bring some of our classic episodes, and this week, um, we're bringing you one that Maisie wasn't actually there for in person. It was Helen and I, we went down to Stoke to see Lou Macari at his homeless shelter, and it was, uh, I think... I think for both of us, one, it was a really opening day, but also I think it really set a standard for our podcast that actually we weren't just going to talk about football. I would totally agree with that, Sam. I found in that podcast, we were quite new to our podcast. I can't remember what episode that was. Tasker would probably be able to enlighten us, maybe early, two or three. And I think before I just kind of thought, oh, we're just going to do these podcasts talk about football man united careers and that one was a game changer for me yeah me too and i feel like um it, it gave us maybe the confidence and a bit of freedom to when we had later chats with people to think we could talk about more sensitive issues and we could talk about different aspects of people's lives that maybe they don't usually get asked about because people are just saying like what's the best goal you ever scored yeah of course there was so much more to that podcast than football and as you say we went down to the homeless shelter and that in itself was such an eye opener. You know, yeah. people who have watched the episode on MUTV will have will have seen that for themselves. But for the listeners, just to be in that situation and the work Lou has done, you know, he's got lots of plaudits over the last what year or so. I think he's had a lot of um, yeah. media coverage of it. So people have been able to see it a little bit more. But it was just very, very humbling. I think the the fact is, I think it was number nine that that episode. But I also think the fact that because of the way Lou is, it's not it's not really been mentioned because of the way Lou is. He doesn't want all the adulations, but because of the podcast and because of exposure to the media, it's actually come out. And you know, you talk about people getting rewarded and things like that. Wow, Lou's got to be up there to get a you know, a knighthood or whatever it is for what he does for the homeless. It's, it's yeah, you're in, so it's right. Incredible. Over the years, I've always heard him saying, like you say, what, Lou, what are you doing tomorrow? And he'd say, oh, I'm down at the shelter doing some stuff. But you never really realised what a big situation it was and what, you know, what he's actually built by himself. Now, when we went down there, Sam, it was still in the shelter, but now he's built the pods, of course. We haven't yeah. actually been because that's... Uh, been ongoing since COVID and lockdown, but that would be really amazing to go back yeah. and see that again. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely right. We could take Maisie with us. Yeah, absolutely. We could. Absolutely. 
We should say, actually, that uh, Lou did receive a points of light letter from the Prime Minister pretty recently, just in recognition of the fantastic work that he's been doing, which is really cool. So maybe the bigger awards are on the way in the future. Um, I suppose the other side of that podcast is we were in his homeless shelter, seeing what he does every day and the direct effect it has on people and his relationships with those people, which was extraordinary. But then, of course, when we sat down and spoke to him, the, it became by far the most the most emotional podcast we've ever done and the one that I think people mention most in their emails because he talked about his son's suicide, which was like, like the cameramen were crying. It was such a difficult moment for everybody and amazing that Lou could tell that story. Yeah, something Lou clearly doesn't speak about very much and he actually said to you, Sam, I never cry and you've made me cry. The fact that Lou was able to open up to us as well and maybe being in the scenario of being in the shelter maybe that's why he was able to do that I'm not so sure what it was but it was certainly one of the most emotional moments I've ever been involved with with someone uh, doing a live interview or a podcast or whatever it may be it was very very emotional yeah me too it was extraordinary well we have warned you we've set this one up to be a good one but it is here it is here's our chat with Lou McCary. Today, Helen and I have travelled to Stoke to meet a United legend, a man who's been wildly popular at every club he's been to and an all-round gentleman. Today, we are with Lou Macari. We're here in Stoke at the Macari Centre, which is a street retreat. So it's a homeless shelter that Lou set up himself. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about his life, his career. But first, we're going to talk about this location. Yes, and we've had a little look around, Lou, and it's very, very humbling indeed. Um, just firstly, why? tell us why you set this up in the first place? Uh, I was at home one night, Helen, reading the local newspaper and in the paper there was a big debate in Stoke from the councillors of uh, of Stoke and Trent about the number of homeless people there was. Some were saying there was 12, others were saying there was 120. So I thought, I'll go and have a look for myself. Jumped in the car, went into Stoke and Trent, parked the car up and went to a shelter or a what I would say an alleyway near one of the pubs and I found six or seven people there. Five of them Stoke supporters, a couple of Port Vale supporters. So I had plenty of aggro from the Port Vale lads, <laughs> no problem from the, the Stoke lads. And within 20 minutes, I, I'd come across a good 20 or 30 people. Went home, thought, right, can I do anything for those people I've just seen and that are out in the street and, and no roof over their head, knowing nothing at all about homeless people, of how they get there or why they get there. I thought, well, I'll, I'll ring a pal of mine who... When I was a manager at Stoke City, he was he was a journalist, and I said, "Look, we need to get a building where we can bring everybody that I've seen, plus others, off the streets, get a roof over their head, help them get back on track if we can as well into some sort of routine." Because being out there when it's raining heavily every night and it's going to get colder as well, there's no life for anybody. So I went with the council around various buildings, came to the one you're in at the moment. Started off with 18 homeless people the night we opened. Uh, and we've now got 48. The one question people ask me is, have you been successful in trying to do what you're doing? And I don't really know the answer to that because if you start off with 18 and you've now got 48, you've been successful in getting 48 people off the street, but the fact that there's more homeless people living with you, is that a success or is it a failure? I, I, I really now just look upon it that, that there's 48 people here under our care and supervision of all the staff we've got uh, with a roof over their head, being fed four meals a day, plenty of clothes, 
and all that's come about with with the generosity and the hard work of the staff I've got. But I think above all the generosity of the, of the people in Stoke on Trent. I think though, you know, we've known you've done this for a long time, and people ask you how often do you spend down there. And only earlier in the corridor, Sam and I were saying. You don't realise what this is like until you come here. Like you say, oh, I'm doing my homeless centre, doing this. But the work you've done here is literally quite incredible. They all call you boss for a start. <laughs> you well, spend a lot more time here. I do. I, I imagine do, but, than what you make out that you do. You've got to hell. It's no difference if you relate back to football. If you want to be successful in football, you've got to work hard. That applies to management. It applies to players. Um, so it's the same... I've got people in here walking around in Johnny Evans. You know Johnny Evans, don't you? <laughs> walking around with Johnny Evans's clothes on. Now, is that not an achievement? Do you know what, though? The funny thing is, I haven't seen anybody here that's six foot three. No. <laughs> we don't need some, some size 12 shoes and six foot three oh, and everybody here's... But no, we, 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 we had an unbelievable donation from yourself and... And I made sure everyone here knew it was Johnny Evans's stuff. <laughs> and as you would expect, there was there was no it was all good stuff in there, Helen, wasn't it? <laughs> was I have another hook tonight? The Johnny <laughs> that Johnny um, gave us, and 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 that's typical of what people have done. We last Christmas, we first week in December, I came here and there was three turkeys in the the freezer. Came here on Christmas Day, there was about sixty-eight turkeys in the freezer things like that and you can't be successful in anything really and it does apply go back it goes back to football unless everyone rallies round everyone is determined to make a success of it it's a team and the team and the team we've got here have been determined not knowing anything about homeless people or a great deal about them uh, we are we have been and, and will always be determined to do our best for them. Because you spend your life at, at a football club, and I was fortunate to spend the majority of my life at Manchester United, going through your everyday training, going through the games, going through life with going through life with Manchester United, getting paid, experiencing all the good things. And I've got to be honest, you never ever stop and think, can I do something for somebody else? So that's how I started, and I thought I could achieve it. And I'm, I'm glad to say I think I've achieved the first step well, it's obvious how proud you are of it. When we turned up, you gave Helen and I a tour and your face lit up before you showed us the first dormitory. But, and I hope you take no offence to this, but I want people who are listening to know this is not like a former football player's vanity project. This is not a place you'd want to live. We've been in, there are three dormitories. There's the girls' dormitory, the two guys' dormitories you described, one as being better than the other. They are dark and like there is a bed squeezed in at every possible angle. You can get a bed to maximise yeah. the opportunity for people to have a roof over their heads. But... This is not by any means luxury, is it? At the moment, we're sat in what room's this? This is like a like a socialising room. I guess like a living yeah. room. And there's, I mean, there's a sign on the wall saying, "Please, can customers put their tea bags in the bin?" And someone's had to write underneath it, "But can you not put any of the plates and the cutlery in the bin and the knives and the forks?" So it's a place where I guess people are still coming to terms with their realities, and this is a place I guess you would do that. It, it offers honest reflection of the situation people are in. But for you what is this place aside from that opportunity to help people because you talk about it so lovingly is there also that that do you love socializing down here when we're walking around you lent someone two pounds you said you gave him a pound 50 yesterday i wouldn't say lent no. <laughs> yeah. well done yeah. helen <laughs> but you never know what the it future holds sad. it wasn't a loan <laughs> because the people in here that do loan money to one another 
they have very high rates of interest they charge. I'm sure they do. What's your yeah. interest rate like? None. My, mine's none. But there's people in here charge 14, 50%. <laughs> and those transactions take place at night when they come in and they've, they've been out most of the day and they've gone around Stoke-on-Trent and they come back in here and this is, this is especially at night time, is, is where the action starts. It's, it's all go, it's, it's banter. We want it that way. I've tried to create that, Sam, that um, there is rules, but I'm not the strongest of persons to make them abide by all the rules. I'm probably too lenient with them. Well, I know I'm too lenient because staff keep telling me I'm too lenient. <laughs> I've got to, well, I believe I've got to take into account that uh, the people you're dealing with some of the time or most of the time have had drugs, which um, changes them into a different person. Uh, I get to know the real person when he's not had any drugs, but that changes them. Um, people with drink problems, that definitely changes them as well. So I, I just feel you've got to be a little bit lenient. We've got a Liverpool supporter in here. Got to be lenient on him, haven't sure. I? Uh, we play Liverpool on, on Sunday and I've told him uh, that if his team beats us, I'm throwing him out <laughs> here as soon as I get back, uh, which he knows is not true. But that's the sort of place that, that I want. They swear as much as I swear. The office that's in behind us at this moment in time is open at all times for them to come in. If they come in for ridiculous suggestions or whatever they come in for, and I think it's ridiculous, I just point to the exit and out they go. So we want that sort of place here, Sam, that they can really believe they can go back here and and relax, even though we know they're they're going to be doing monkey dust, cocaine, heroin, or a heroin substitute. We know, we know that, so it's no big shock when we look at somebody who's maybe come in at night, okay, and has gone out at the times we allow them to go, and while he's gone out taking something, and, and does come in a different person. Mm -hmm. So we've got, we've got to accept that as well. Let's talk about you growing up. Growing up, um, I was born in Edinburgh. I moved to a seaside town on the coast. Mm -hmm. Celtic crazy I was. Went to watch Celtic on the supporters bus, probably from the age of nine onwards. <laughs> I had never seen them win anything. That was, that was my childhood, like all kids in Scotland, out on the street all night till it was pitch black. But Celtic was my team, went to see them, didn't win. All of a sudden, a manager came from nowhere that I, I didn't know anything about. Jock Steen proved to be Celtic's greatest ever manager, proved to be Scotland's greatest ever manager, and arguably, alongside Sir Alex, the greatest manager, I think, in this country. Well, all I know of Jock is that he was Sir Alex's inspiration for management. What was he like? Did you see comparisons between the two of them? Um, from the day Sir Alex came to Old Trafford, I just saw, I saw Jockstein, no nonsense, something about the presence there that you just knew, don't mess around with him. And then I went down to the training ground and I saw, I definitely saw Jockstein on the training ground, this man in the middle of all these players shouting instructions, bawling and shouting, and leaving anybody in no doubt that he was the man in charge. Uh, Steen would stand no nonsense. Was he a father figure too, though? No, Jock, I would say, was a lot tougher, possibly, than Sir Alex was. But the same thing happened at Celtic when I eventually joined. A bunch of young players came through that went on to play for Celtic for a number of years. Dalgleish, Danny McGrain, myself, David Hay. Lots of, lots of players who not only made it, but made it in British football for a long time. Careers were a long time. And I say to this day, and I don't know if the other lads say the same, but we wouldn't have done what we did if we didn't have Jockstein. 
I think it's fair to say the class of 92 would tell you the same about Sir Alex. Mm-hmm. You had great success there as well, didn't you? Uh, well, I got in the team and never thought I'd get in the team because I was on the ground staff looking after, when I say looking after, putting out the boots, cleaning the boots, putting out the kit of the Lisbon Lions. And when you looked at them and saw what they had achieved in Lisbon, I think the total amount spent on the whole team was something like £40,000. And that manager had managed to get all them together and go and beat Europe's finest at the time. Hell of an achievement, an unbelievable achievement. I was fortunate, although I couldn't ever see it coming, of getting in the team. So when I get in the team, I'm playing with all these unbelievable players, unbelievable characters as well, which is a major part of any football club. Have you got characters in that football club? And I think, sadly, nowadays, there's not that many football clubs with that many characters in them. But uh, I was fortunate to be in there, played up front on my own. Uh, I could run and run and run. And that was simply my instructions before every game. No team talks from the manager about anything in depth about the opposition. None whatsoever. And um, when I played and made my debut, um, one of my first games was against Rangers. Big games, that was. Um, I'm substitute. Hamden Park, uh, Celtic are winning 1-0. Rangers equalised in the last five minutes. Go back to the training camp right away that night, straight on the team bus, straight back to the training camp where we'd been for four or five days and prepare for the replay. 138,000 people at Hamden Park and um, go back for the replay and didn't consider I was going to be picked. Hour from kickoff, where Jock always picked his teams, picked the team and, and all of a sudden I'm playing and, and he'd done it in his management at Celtic, a lot of the time he'd done things like that and the result was a lot of it had paid off by that person who was coming in, scoring the winning goal or whatever. A half six when you pick a, a team before a half seven kickoff and you're in that team, you don't have that long to dwell on it and I didn't have that long to dwell on it. The lads wished me all the best and out we went, down the tunnel, all this crowd and I went out and scored the first goal. Uh, Rangers equalised and... and um, then we got the winning goal and I had a Scottish Cup winner's medal in my hand. And it all happened so quick, so sudden. And I thought that was I thought that was going to be... The highlight of your the career. Of my, yeah. of my career of my life. <laughs> Little did you um, know. So getting the car with my mum and dad and we head back to where I lived, which was about an hour away, kept looking at this medal. Asked them to stop for fish and chips on the way home. I think deserved it. Right, yeah. <laughs> so we stopped for fish and chips. While I'm in this fish and chip shop, a double-decker bus arrived outside. First thing I thought, oh my God, if this is a Rangers supporter's a double-decker bus, this could be my last fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, the bus emptied and they were all Celtic supporters. I get carried round this fish and chip shop on the top of all these Celtic supporters' shoulders. That was the, the big, the final end to my evening. Got back in the car, went home and my night had got even better and I thought I hope this continues right throughout my career and I think it's fair to say that I I look back in the career and think well it, it did get better everything got better just want to ask did that moment inspire you to own your own fish and chip shops Is that why it I didn't hell and I'll get on to that if we've got long enough to tell you about it that was a bit of a mistake that turned out to not be a mistake go on what happened I was going to the World Cup in 78. I left the training ground at the cliff, drove back via Old Trafford. I lived in Sale, so I went past the shop, which would have been on my right at the time. It was in a bit of darkness, so I thought, I'll go over there, see what's happening, because 
getting a shop there was something I thought, if I could get a shop here, it'd be, it'd be brilliant. Walked in, a bit of darkness in the shop. There's an elderly woman worked in it. I said, what's up? You, you're not packing up, are you? She said, I wish I could. So as soon as she said that, I said, well, would you sell it? And she said, you're right, I'd sell it. And I said, well, can I buy it off you? She said, um, how much? I said, well, what do you want? She told me what she wanted. And I didn't want to tell her it was a steal. But at the same time, I just agreed, yes, I'll take it. Um, I'd lost my father. He had died. So I was intended to bring my mother down from Scotland and put her in somewhere where she could work and was she felt comfortable. And bought the shop there and then. Went to the World Cup, came back, and we set about sort of getting it fitted out um, as a fish and chip shop. Sadly, my mother passed away, and I'm left with a fish and chip shop. I didn't really want it, but I originally brought it, it was just to bring my mother down from Scotland and put her in it. So quickly realised it's not a bad thing to have a fish and chip shop at Old Trafford, and, and kept it, put some family in to start with. I've got somebody, I've rented it out to somebody now, but still, it's my shop. It's when I feel that the family are going to go back in, grandchildren or whatever, they'll go back in. Um, and it proved to be probably the most sensible thing I did in my whole career. Or possibly yeah, my whole life. Best mistake you've ever had. <laughs> you just spoke there about your mum and bringing her down, you know, to give her a job, maybe something to do while you were down there. You know, you've spoken in the past about one of the reasons why you ended up moving to England, maybe to provide more for your mother because your father wasn't there anymore, is that? Yeah, well, I had I had three or four years that even the manager of Celtic, Jock Steen, who, as I told you, is just like Sir Alex, told me um, I'd done okay for him. Mm -hmm. And I think Alex might do the same thing for his manager career, not let youngsters like me get carried away and saying how well I've, I've done. So I went in for, he called me in for a new contract. I went from £12.50 a week on the ground staff to £50 in the team, uh, £5 appearance money. So obviously, you, like every player, you were desperate and determined to play and to be picked uh, as it was back then. So I went back, I went in to see him about this contract and um, I told him my, my father had died and I was having to support my mother now. And um, How old were you, Lee? At the time, I was, I think, 20, 21. So it's really young. How I plucked up the courage, again, this is a carbon copy of Sir Alex, how I plucked up the courage to go in, to this day I still don't know, Sam, but I did. I had to because I, I, I just, I, I needed more money on my contract. If I wasn't going to be offered enough, I had to pluck up the courage to go and tell him. So he tells me I'm getting an extra fiver in my wages and that's it. Per week? Per, per week. Yeah, I'm getting an extra fiver. So I said to him, look... Um, I need uh, I need to support my mother. I can't, you know, I can't I can't be having a five. I'm... So anyway, that was it. There was no more being offered, and I just said, right, I'm off. Did you know at that point that you could get more money if you were playing in England? I knew I could get more money playing in England because I'd been in the Scotland team, and it's not a big secret when you're in the Scotland team. You get to know what what players were getting in England. What I didn't know, Sam, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I didn't know if anybody thought it was any good. Well, that's what I was going to say, did you were you doing this blind, or did you have something in your back pocket knowing nothing I could get to United? Completely blind, and and when I tell you how I got to United, you'll then realise that it was completely blind. I sat at home for a couple of weeks after training every day. I'd go into training, go back home. I keep looking at the phone. I'm praying for it to ring. So did you have an agent? No agents, nobody. So you're just hoping a football club will know you're available and they will phone? Exactly. I was hoping somebody would know I was available. 
and it worried me that I didn't know how they would know because I didn't know how the system worked in football and I just didn't, I didn't know anything and no one there to support me. So the phone did ring one night and I went and answered it and it was the manager. I said, hi, boss. He said, get ready in the morning. You're going to England. Put the phone down on me. So I put the phone down. My wife says, what was that? I said, it's the manager. What do you want? I said, he's to tell me I'm going to England in the morning. He'll be ready. Where are you going? She said, I said, I don't know. <laughs> He never told me, obviously because he didn't want to tell me. So I get ready, car turns up for me, uh, driver at the front seat, get in the back. My reserve team manager, who was a lovely fella and a great fella, so he's in the back seat and I get in and I said, Sean, where are we going? And he said, um, I, I didn't tell you because I could get the sack. So he didn't tell me. I asked the chauffeur in front because I knew he'd know where he was going because he's driving the bloody car. I said, where are we going, chauffeur? Oh, I can't tell you. He said, more than my life's worth. So I had no idea. You literally had no, no idea. No idea whatsoever where I was going. And at this point, is this for, a, you've been transferred or is this for a negotiation just to meet this someone? Is, this is, I haven't been transferred. I haven't, nothing like that formal has happened. I have just said to him on that meeting, I'm leaving. Where I could go, as I said to you, Sam, where I could go, who wanted me, who thought I was any good, I didn't have a clue. So why are they keeping it a secret? Why did they not want you to know where you were going in England? Let me just get to yeah, them, Yeah, please, Sam. carry on. So I'm, I'm that, a, that's I want to know the good, answer. That's a good question. I'm glad you... That shows you're on the ball, pal. <laughs> that shows Sam is on the ball. Clip that He's bit up, guys. For story. <laughs> Clip that bit up. Yeah. Use that for, a, like, the intro of each one of these we do. <laughs> but long before... Today, I've had a belief that you've been on the ball. I've oh, clipped that up as well. I've so been watching the start to your MUTV career and been surprised how we've got you and where we've got you from. Oh, thanks, Lou. Ah, that's lovely, Lou. Because you look, you do look at people, Helen, and you say, "Where's he been? And how's he got there? And and what's his asset? Because we've all got assets, all of us. And he's funny. Yes, got that. He's like my I man in the corner there, the circus clown, Neil." took him at soap because I could see the worth in bringing him into a football club because he's funny, naturally funny. He's sitting there just now, just look at him. Go on, Helen, he, laugh if you want to laugh. Sam, look at him and laugh if you want. He is funny. I am only laughing because he's got given three chicken sandwiches about half an hour ago and he still hasn't eaten them. Nan, please, Helen, Nando's chicken. Nando's chicken. <laughs> anyway, I've done my bit for you, yeah, Sam, thank that you, that you thank told you. me to do. Yeah. Right. You'll get the money. <laughs> but... Um, so I didn't know, I didn't know where I was going. Once I leave Scotland, I've got no idea where I'm going. No idea where anything is. Um, so I get in the car and the first sign I see is Carlisle. And to my relief, we drove past Carlisle. And if there's anybody from Carlisle listening, just gonna say. that's not a reflection on Carlisle. It's just a reflection. I knew I wasn't going to Carlisle United. Yeah. The same happened at the next port of call that was signposted. Blackburn... Blackpool, and we drove past there. So relief, again and again. No disrespect to the people. It's nothing to do with that. Those towns. It's to do with the football teams and leaving Celtic, top club, won the European Cup. I don't want to be going to Blackpool or Blackburn or Carlisle. You understand that? I Sam, think that's. I think that's fair. Yeah. It's a fair comment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that's okay. So, next signpost is Southport, and we turn off for Southport. Mm -hmm. I had no idea where Southport was. Oh, right, okay. So we stopped. <laughs> He's no in a, with you. We stopped in a hotel in Southport, Prince of Wales Hotel, never forget it. 
walk in and I find out they tell me we're stopping for tea and sandwiches. And I go up and whisper to the receptionist behind the counter, who plays in Southport? And she tells me the local non-league Southport United. So for a minute, I, I think I broke out in a sweat. And to my relief, I'm told we're moving on out of Southport to go somewhere. Next thing I do know, and once I saw it, I knew where I was. It was a big signpost saying, this is Anfield. So I arrive at Liverpool Football Club. I then have a, probably about five or six minutes to digest in my mind how I've got here. And I realise that Steen and Shankly are the best of pals, big friends, similar background, top managers. And before I know it, I'm in Bill Shankly's office. Uh, tells me why he wants me because he's seen me play, he likes me, he thinks I'm this, he thinks I'm that, he says all the things that I would like to hear. And then he says, and we're going to pay you um, £180 a week. That's a big bonus. Big. My chest went out. I felt a millionaire just with that. And um, what happened when people did get transferred is you got 5% of the transfer fee. So I'm quickly, after asking them what the transfer fee was, it was 180,000. I'm quickly working out I am 9,000 pound richer for that journey from my home to Liverpool Football Club. And he has to go because Liverpool are playing that night in an FA Cup replay. He goes into dressing room to speak to his players because there's a match on. I go and sit in the director's box, sit down, director's box is packed, uh, but there's one seat empty next to me on the left. And some this guy walks in 10 minutes late for the game, sits down, and it's Pat Creran. Now, there's nothing wrong with Paddy being 10 minutes late because he's always late, as you know, at MUTV. So he walks in, looks at me, because he used to be a Celtic player. I look at him because I know he's Paddy Creran. I think at the same time, we both say to one another, what are you doing yeah. here? And, uh, and he goes, never mind what I'm doing here. What are you doing here? So I say, oh, Pat, it's, um, I've just been brought down here. No idea where I was going. I'm signing for Liverpool. You're not signing for Liverpool. You're signing for Manchester United. So I said, what do you mean I'm signing for Manchester United? I said, you're not the manager of Manchester United. Doesn't matter. You're signing for Manchester United. But you're not in charge, Pat. Doesn't matter. I'm in charge now. I'm at this moment. I'm in charge. No, Tommy Dock's in charge, I said, Pat. And I have no indication that Tommy Dock wants me. Well, we do want you. And you know, Pat, we're wasting your time trying to convince him. Yeah. So I gave up. And anyway, at halftime, he went and phoned Tommy Dock, came back and said, Tommy Dock wants you. He's, told, he's telling me to tell you not to sign for Liverpool. I didn't think anything else except I'm not signing for Liverpool. I am going to Manchester United, but I've got to go back and tell this manager here oh. who's ferocious, who's no nonsense, who doesn't mess around, I'm not going to sign for Liverpool. How am I going to do it? Did you have a team at the time in England that you supported, by the way? or Manchester United. You, because you of still, yeah. Best Law Charlton. Yeah. I knew Best Law Charlton. I'd been with Dennis in the Scotland team. I'd met Sir Bob on, on a number of occasions. And of course, like everybody in the world, I knew George Best. Yeah. And I knew George Best was probably the best player I was ever going to see. And to this day, I stand by that. I thought, no, I don't care what they're doing, uh, whatever, fifth bottom of the league or something. They've got those three there and um, I, I'm, I've got to be training with them next week and I've got to be training them whenever it's... I go to Manchester United and, and I'm going. Went back to Shankly's office and I lied. I've got to be honest, I just told a blatant lie. And I said, I need time to think about it. Didn't need any time to think about it. 
And the next morning I was going to get up and get on that train and I was heading north to Glasgow, Tommy Dock was in, and signed for Manchester United. No matter what the the terms were, I was I was signing. Paddy was there, the Dock was there, and, and, and I signed for an overnight. I don't know why, but the fee went up. I think probably Celtic knew I wasn't going to Liverpool, so the fee went up because it was Manchester United. The fee went up to 200,000, which meant... An extra, an extra thousand <laughs> for you. <laughs> an extra thousand for me. Way that's that's what it was like at the time, Sam. You get your hands on a thousand quid. It was it was jackpot. You know, it was. I think that's still true now, Lou. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> so that's that's um, went to training the next day at the Cliff and played against West Ham on the Saturday. Scored the equalising goal in the two-two draw at the Stratford End. So that completed, which was which was an unbelievable week for me. If you'd have said to me at any time when I was growing up or at any time when I played for Celtic, would I ever leave? I would have said to you, with all honesty, I'd have said, no, I will never, ever, I'll never leave Celtic. But things, as I found out, not knowing a great deal about how things happen in the game of football, things develop and things happen that do push you on to a new career. And that new career was just about to start with Manchester United. When you were there, despite the success that you had at United, but also there was relegation... Did you ever look at Liverpool and think, oh, they're doing so well, they're winning trophy after no, trophy? No, no, Sam. No, because I knew they had, without a doubt, the best team in the country at the time. I was well aware that there was trophies to be won. I wasn't too sure whether they were getting the team. Because like all teams at the time, and I say all teams, unlike our modern-day Premier League, all teams were brilliant. That's why Man United, with best law in Charlton, with fifth bottom of the league, because the competition was, was fierce. Did they live up to expectations when you were in training with them? What was that like? Brilliant. All three of them went very quickly. I got a feeling that Tommy Dock wasn't over keen in having the three of them at Old Trafford. I don't know why, but um, he decided that if he could get them out, they, they would go. Bobby, I think, just decided to call it a day. George was sometimes in, sometimes not in, as, as we all know happened with George's career. And Dennis, I, I just think that Tommy Dock just didn't like Dennis. And um, so all, all three within probably six months had, had gone. But during that six months period, I just saw another three unbelievable players, unbelievable people. I took Dennis's place in, in that West Ham game. And the move Dennis, they took the number 10 shirt, or Tommy Dock took the number 10 shirt off of Dennis and gave it to me. I think even to Dennis, that maybe signalled the, the start of the end of his Manchester United career. And there's something that really annoys me to this day is, is what people think of George Best because they get mixed up with George Best after his career's over and George Best when he was a footballer. George Best when he was a footballer, there was no better trainer. There was a lad who didn't drink excessively. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would say Shandy and one a night might be his total consumption, albeit in a nightclub because he liked to be in amongst where there was uh, young ladies, and, and that was something I don't think we can say it didn't happen. But Paddy talks about him being very shy, though. Very shy. Uh, nice, nice, quiet fella. Would never seek attention. But I think when his career was, was, was over, I don't think he could believe, like most people, I don't think he could believe that the George Best that was seen as the best player in the world was now doing gigs, if you want to call it, at non-league grounds, playing for the teams that he played for, going to America long before he should have been going to America. 
I think that played heavily in his mind, and I don't think I think he then probably realised that he'd dropped a clanger or two in, in the way he had um, the way his career had developed towards the end, or hadn't developed for that matter. And that's probably the best way to describe it. But he was great. He was brilliant, George. And any three football clubs nowadays that could have characters like those three, certainly, and I'm not talking about players as good as those three, because that's not going to happen, but just characters like them, um, they would take them in. They would take them in because they were brilliant. Looked after younger players like me. I don't think we're too bothered. And I, I think that applies to to Dennis in particular, too bothered I came along uh, and took his number 10 shirt. I think genuinely they, they accepted maybe their time was getting towards the end. Probably didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did, but were, were there then to support you and help you to be the next batch of players coming through as Manchester United players. Obviously, George, you're saying he's a different person, you know, in the training ground and whatever, and different person after his career had finished. But obviously, we know the stories about the alcohol, but what people don't know about you is that you've never drank. No, no, never. Never drank. Did that make it difficult to socialise with your teammates at no, that time? No, I was probably the biggest socialiser there was. I liked to be in amongst them. I liked to be in the company of people after games. I didn't mind being the chauffeur who dropped them all off at home later that night and didn't expect to see them in training the next day. But as true professionals they were, all turned up. I used to look at them and think, how did you manage to get out of your bed this morning? And there's too many names to mention, Helen. <laughs> you you know most of them. But it was a given at the time that if you if you won, you went out and socialised. If you lost, you got in your car and you went home. That's everybody. No out in Manchester after a defeat. A defeat should be out of the question. And it's certainly out of the question after you've lost and you shouldn't be out celebrating. But again, things have changed nowadays. Talk to us about relegation, sorry, and promotion again. Um, relegation happened that quick. It more or less happened, even though we could see it coming. But with those three players that were mentioned, you know, um, well, they, they'd gone. Man City at Old Trafford. Um, that could be the game that almost seals your fate. As it turned out, it wasn't the game. Now, when people talk about that, because people still talk about it and the idea of Dennis Law relegating Manchester United, does that annoy you? Because obviously, you uh, know that isn't quite true. No, well, it isn't true. But at the time, um, when everybody's walking out that stadium, I think everyone's thinking, God, Dennis has done it. Dennis has done it. And I think Dennis might have been quite embarrassed um, that that was even associated with him. But it was nothing to do with that day. And it proved that uh, there was other results that... Uh, made sure that he eventually did get relegated. So we, we, we go down with a team that, as I say, Helen, other teams in the league at the time were all as good as you, all had as much money, if not more than you, than Manchester United. So it was a real even playing field, unlike it is nowadays. Um, so we went down. Uh, Tommy Dock said that we would come straight back up. We thought he was a bit mad at saying that because... Uh, just to get back from our lower division has never proved to be that easy. I think after we, after we played our first game, which was, memory serves me right, I think it was late in Orient. I think after we played there and arrived at the ground with the, the, the ground full of Manchester United supporters and outside the ground, probably even more alarming, probably 10,000 people from Manchester who'd come down and weren't going to get in because there wasn't enough tickets. I think then, and after we won the game, I think then we realised that with the help of this support that we will get, 
certainly at Old Trafford, and now we've witnessed it ourselves, away from home as well, that uh, we could do it. But you've still got to go and do it. And we went out there every week. And what we were going to do was quite simple. I was asked to go and do in midfield what I was, what um, that I could do, get about the pitch, get forward, try and score some goals. Gordon Hill and Steve Coppel were asked to run down either flank, centre-forwards were asked to get in the box. All uncomplicated stuff that um, that we could all take on board and and we all understood and, and went out there and, and did it. Got back to the, the big league, as it was called at the time, the main league, and again, what awaits you then, you're, you're, you're a little bit unsure of. Did you think about leaving when the team were relegated? No. No, you, you, you've contributed to them. Sam, you've contributed to them leaving. So the thought of that, players at the time, at the time, uh, we, we were all more or less the same. We all had the sort of same thoughts in our minds about football and what was right and what was wrong. And I think um, to think ever about leaving wouldn't have, wouldn't have entered anybody's mind. If, if you weren't selected, you wouldn't uh, go moaning and groaning because the rest of the players would set about you. They would tell you, you're playing for Manchester United, pal. What's a big surprise you haven't been selected? There's 20-odd there's players here as good as you are. I had a good upbringing and a lucky upbringing because I was in amongst so many good footballers, good people and sensible human beings. I never heard, I can't remember hearing one player, as you do when you're with them all the time and you're in their company, talking about the thought of leaving. What used to happen if your contract was up, if they sent you a letter to say they they were re-engaging you, that was it, you were re-engaged. Used to have to offer you a, a better contract than the last one, which meant £5 or £10. But what you did dread, I certainly dreaded it, was a letter coming through your door by the 31st of June, I think it was, saying you'd been released. They didn't want you. So if the postman didn't turn up before the 31st of June, you were delighted because he hasn't got that letter to say you've been released. Because unlike nowadays, when we obviously we know that people have left and wanted to leave, I don't get it and still don't get it to this day, which is why when I'm on MUTV, for example, I might get a little bit uh, disappointed, annoyed, or, or whatever you want to say about any modern-day player even considering it, because they've got everything. They've got every single thing you can want as a footballer. You've got it at Manchester United. No, never, never considered it, Sam. Uh, who scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final against Liverpool, you or Jimmy Greenhoff? Um, well, I can talk you through it, and then it's up to you, like <laughs> it is with a lot of people. Yeah. People do say to me, I scored it, but the last person to touch the ball was, was, was Jimmy. Long ball from the back up. I jumped up to head it in midfield, headed it. Uh, I knew it had gone towards the penalty box. Got after it. I was going to get in that penalty box um, as quickly as I could. Got in there, went to have a shot. Jimmy was in my, my way. I remember saying to him, get out of the way, Jim. And Lou, you can answer your phone if you need to. Can see I answer if, my see phone? See if by yeah. the bell, rethink yeah. your answer. Aye, Auntie, I'll get somebody to come out and let you in. Okay, thanks, Aunt. <laughs> Cheers. The ex-Lord Mayor of Stoke. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. He, he, he supports us and works with us. And I've just hired the ex-Lord Mayor's chauffeur Right. To drive, this is exclusive, by the way. Nice, I'm not okay. mentioning it to anybody. Yeah. So don't mention it today. Let it, sure. When's this going out? No, a while sure. from now. Yeah. For a few weeks, oh, yeah. it's exclusive. Go so on. we've got the Lord Mayor's last chauffeur. He's coming to drive our people about. 
because we've been given a van from the city council to take them to their appointments, to take them to Blackpool, to take them wherever they want to go, to try and change the daily routine a bit about, which the daily routine is the same. Here we are in a minute, Anthony. He was my first sort of big capture, big transfer I got in here. <laughs> Cost nothing. <laughs> and I've just acquired the Lord Mayor's, his chauffeur. He's coming to work for us. So See, that's why you made a good manager, Lou. Good signings. Yeah. yeah. And what's, oh God, what's happened worry, since then is he's got a... This is the Elvis impersonator that we use <laughs> so sometimes. can write this script. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody at home. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hold on, I put you on speaker, Elvis. Right, you're on. <laughs> where, where are you in LA? Are you in LA or are you Vegas or where? Yes, daily Vegas. No, Elvis, seriously now, we need you as Elvis. Just for 30 seconds. I'm going, I'm on a podcast, whatever that is, right? I'm with Helen and Sam down at the centre. You know, you've been down for us. They've seen your picture on the wall. Can you just be Elvis for 30 seconds? Uh-huh. I know I've done that one. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you're live, Elvis, from the Macari Centre in Stoke. I know you prefer to be in Vegas. <laughs> all right, all right. Can I ring you back later, Elvis? Yeah, ring me back. All right, Luke. All right, cheers. Ta-da. In, in a lot of situations, you think that was that was a bizarre part of my day, but in your company, Lou, it just seems totally natural that that would happen. <laughs> and about seven conversations back, you'd nodded the ball on. You were about to Sorry. shoot. We just need an answer now. I forgot, I forgot the FA Cup final. We just need a name. <laughs> Jimmy or me. Uh, right, let me, no, wait a minute. There's a bit more to it than that. I hit it, right? And when you're on that pitch in a football match, you don't know, and even though you're at Wembley, when you're going through the motions of doing what you're doing, you don't know there's 100,000 people there. You don't know who's to your left, who's to your right, because you haven't got time to actually look up and think about it or see it. That ball went in the back of the net. I had no idea it had gone anywhere near Jimmy Greenoff. No idea whatsoever. So my celebration is believing that that ball's ended up in the back of the net because of what I have done. Only when I went back into the dressing room after the game and we saw the replay did I realise that it hit off Jimmy, it had gone into the back of the net, and as a result of that, he had a golden boot. <laughs> you get a golden boot if you score the winning goal at Wembley. So Jimmy got the golden boot. I know where he lives, <laughs> right? I've told Jimmy this. I might come round one night, take it home to my house where it's never been, yeah. right? And, and it's payback time anyway. Um, take, uh, Jimmy has scored the winner because it hit him last. Would it have gone in the back of the net? No. Because I think it might have been heading for one of those tube stations <laughs> outside Wembley, right? That's what it, that's what may have happened. Sure. But Ellen, let me tell you, you've just beaten Liverpool in the final. You've got an FA Cup winners' medal. Don't forget, we were there twelve months earlier, and we'd walked up those steps first, which you don't want to do at Wembley. I collected my losers' medal, gone round the stadium waving as though you're reasonably happy, but you're not happy at all into the dressing room and we'd lost to Southampton the only thing in my mind was I hope the opposite happens it did went up the steps second 
picked up the winner's medal, went round Wembley genuinely, and you'll be able to see that with any pictures you see on the day, genuinely delighted. I couldn't care less who scored it. And the same would have applied to Jimmy if the reverse had happened. Just to be there, just to win, just to beat Liverpool, stop them winning the treble. Don't need to remind you, do I? No. It made that cup final against Liverpool really special. Let me ask you this. What happened then after that success? Eventually you would leave Manchester United. How did that come about? Did you feel like that was time or was that the club's decision? Sam, in your last year at Manchester United, if you get a nickname of everyone calling you the judge because you're always on the bench, <laughs> right? Yeah. You would think about leaving Manchester United, wouldn't That's you? That's quite a cruel nickname. Did that upset well, you? No, it didn't. <laughs> no, I was hanging on and I was hanging on for every year I could hang on. But eventually there was going to be a manager come along and say to me, you know, I think you, maybe your time's up. Uh, it was Big Ron. I had no problems whatsoever when when he told me that. I'd completed 401 games, I think the history book tells you. I'd been sub 33, last season I'd been sub 33 times. So that's why, you can understand it now, call me the judge. And the decision was, was a correct decision. Could my career, looking back when I, when I was leaving, could my career have got any better? Or could I had a better career than that? No, it was impossible. It's Hamden Park. to look back at it that way, isn't it? Celtic, Scotland, Manchester United, 11 years I was there. We've got people nowadays come and go within two years, don't they? What about your management career then? Then Did I had no idea. your expectations? Helen, I had no idea what I was going to do. All I know is that first morning of pre-season training, when all the lads that I knew and had played with went back to the cliff to start the pre... I'm sitting at home in sale where I live thinking, oh God, I should be going on that journey to the cliff through Salford, that route that I've done for the last 11 years, and I'm not. And then I quickly sort of, I think I quickly picked myself up and sort of said, yeah, but look what I have done and just used that approach to sort of, um, let's say, calm me down a little bit and get rid of the, um, the fact that I wasn't going into that training ground anymore. Did, did, it, did it resonate with you, particularly emotionally, to wake up that day and think, oh, I'm not going now? Oh, without a doubt, Sam, yeah. You've done something, not just football, I think most jobs, if you've done something all your life and you've gone somewhere every day and it's been the same routine... And the biggest thing of all, you've enjoyed it. You, you don't want that day to ever come. With a cup tie against Everton, he brought me on in two minutes to go. And I thought, this is bizarre. What's he bringing me on for? And, you, you know, you play the game regular on MUTV. Um, got the winner in the last minute. And I think uh, a lot of people regard that game as one of the sort of um, the liveliest vocally that they'd heard at Old Trafford ever. Um, so, no, looking back, great. I just don't understand sometimes how some people that come are not desperate to stay there right throughout their career. And some some players um, some players are a bit unfortunate that the Manchester United career does come to an end. And I've got to put your husband in that category. Thanks, Lou. I'm not, that, That's all right. I, no, listen, Sam's got a compliment. I'm husband got a compliment, but yeah. I'm still Lou's, waiting. Lou's Lou, a great guy. <laughs> Lou, I, we have to wrap up really soon. But frankly, I could listen to you talk forever. You are 
one of the warmest people I've ever sat in a working environment with. You don't panic about the cameras and the microphones. You're so at home and so happy in the company of people. And I think that I imagine, I don't know you especially well, but I imagine that's why you run this place because you, you just want to be with people and you clearly want to help people. And it's so obvious that you really enjoy it. And I think like from a football perspective, you've had such an incredible career, but something, and, and I hope in me asking this, this will help people that are listening because I'm sure there are lots of people that sometimes will wake up and have had a tough time or a bad day and think I can't get anywhere. And, and you are doing extraordinary things and doing it with such a big smile, but have experienced tragedy I think that I certainly haven't come closer and I think most people wouldn't in that in 1999 your son died yeah and I would have thought a lot of people wouldn't know that how do you keep going and how did you I don't know how do you how do you I don't know what the right words are to be totally honest but I just wonder where you find this strength from because you are such a joy to be around my sidekick over there hope he doesn't mind me calling him my sidekick when I met him, one of the things that he kept saying all the time was, be happy. That was at times when I wasn't happy. This was my management at Stoke. There was games you'd lost, and he comes along and goes, boss, be happy, right? So I thought, you can either be happy or you can be sad. So there's a choice. It's one or the other. It's better being happy than sad. So I decided, right, whatever happens to me in life... Um, something worse is going to happen to somebody. So unfortunately, I, I did lose, I lost my son. And a um, couple of months before 99 European Cup final, I was employed at the time by Talk Sport. I'd agreed to go to Champions League final to work for Talk Sport. So I lose my son, uh, suicide. And the first thing I'm thinking about there's no way I'm going to that Champions League final. Um, there is no way I'm going to be at that stadium on the night to, of that game. But wife and other two lads I've got both said to me, look, go and do it. Go, go and do it. Go and, and do the co-commentary. And I, I, I did the co-commentary with Alan Parry. And the last place I wanted to be was in that stadium. Didn't want to be there. My two sons were there. I'd got them a couple of tickets, so they were there, obviously, at the United end. The game went, as we all know it went. We looked like losing, and I thought, this is just um, this is just sort of making it a bit worse, although football can never interfere with life and death. And I'm sitting there doing the commentary, and I think to the best I can, and I'm desperate to get through the, the, the 90 minutes, but 90-odd minutes, as it turned out to be. This is possibly why I've got a bit of a soft spot, spot for Ollie, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, that um, when he put the ball in the back of that net, I lost the plot a bit. I forgot, I forgot about my son, which, which I did forget about him for probably about 40, 50 seconds or, or even longer. And I think I, think I went crazy. Talk Sport still got the, uh, the the whole game and and the, the commentary. I think I went crazy. I'm going to ask them for it soon, but I know I went di reacted different to what I did um, because out of the blue he pops up, puts the ball in the back of the net, and you get excited. When after the game, then went met my two sons and they went back the following morning. I went I went back to um, 
obviously the couple of days after it. And then, of course, you're travelling back on the plane and you've travelled out there on the plane. And I remember going out on the plane and thinking, what am I doing here? And I was thinking, I just hope, he, he, you know. Um, I just hope he doesn't get annoyed with me. Of course not. Just the fact that I've been to a football match. You made me cry, son. <laughs> Sorry, Lou. Not me. And the cameraman, who's a Liverpool supporter. <laughs> Hope you're crying. <laughs> Hope he's crying on Sunday. You hope he's crying on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Right? Yeah. Uh, I never cry. <laughs> never, never, ever, ever cry. You were re really reliving that moment there at that time, though, weren't you? And bringing back those memories which yeah. you were thinking of at Bell that time. I never cry. <laughs> Be honest with you, I never cried when Johnny left. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh God. Uh, oh, apologise for that, Lou. There is absolutely nothing to apologise for. And. Um, he was a good player, my lad, and all three of my boys played, but he was a good player. Uh, I wouldn't say that about him if I didn't really mean it, but he was a bit better and he had something going for him and he was, he was a Gaza-type player, you know, he had, he had a bit of cheek. And, um, but um, got a lost a little bit, and when he got lost, I wasn't there to, to support him. And probably that's why I feel comfortable in here yeah. that a lot of people in here are lost. Difference is, though, I am here to support them, whether it be with £1.50 <laughs> or £2. Um, and, and we will support them. We've, we've had people moved out and one couple get married and they've had a kid. We've supported them. We've carpeted their house. We've had other people move out. We'll do a little bit. But once we've done a little bit for them like that, then we're hoping that they stand on their own two feet. We're hoping that they get on with their own life without our help. But, um, you know, at this moment in time, just to help them along from the Wild West out there, which it is, um, we bring them in here and, and we do our best to support them, which is um, a big regret that I was never there to support my lad because it, it just happened so quickly. I had no idea. Probably like parents of, of people we've got staying in here, they probably get no idea until their sons or daughters have ended up in here what problems have had what's happening to them in, in their life but there you go well i think i can speak on behalf of both of sam and i just say like what the work you're doing here is absolutely incredible lou you're so humble about it people ask you all the time about your shelter how's it going and you just yeah yeah it's going great but you're so humble about what you're doing here and it's just we're doing what we can incredible Ellen, no we get support. We get support from your office, the MUTV office. Went around for clothes. I brought the clothes down. That's another highlight in their life where there's not there's not a great deal to to give them a lift on a day to day basis. And I've got to say, for not just the homeless people that stay here, for all homeless people, support them in, in whatever way you can. And and 
and hopefully there'll be, you know, there'll be a an end result for, for some of them. And there will be. And I'll tell you what they do, and this is what I like most about them, Sam, and I hope you understand with the football connection. They've got real guts. They've got determination. And that's when, with waking up every day with nothing in their pocket in terms of money, no job, nowhere to go, and they are still resilient, tough, not just that, they're also fortunate, Lou, because they have you looking after them. And without any hyperbole, well, genuinely, you are doing inspirational work. And I think you are an extraordinary person. Mm -hmm. And I think we should probably end it here. And thank you so much thank for the time. You. As always, for coming. it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there you go. We told you it was emotional. And it absolutely was. Um, but in all of that, there were some really wonderful light moments too, weren't there? Like him signing for United and having Paddy sat next to him at Liverpool telling him you're not going here. Can you imagine that? That's Can you imagine so Paddy? Paddy? That's quality, isn't it? You could imagine the, the actual... I, I, I don't think Lou would ever tell you the, the specifics, but you can imagine Paddy saying those specific words that you, you ain't signing for them. Yeah. <laughs> and his facial expressions of why oh, he's just yeah. you can so imagine. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it was, oh, a, it, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a brilliant podcast. It really was. And um, as you say... You know, to go, that was a real roller coaster because you've gone from football to emotions of crying and joy and laughing. It's just, it's got everything in it. It really has. Mm -hmm. And I think that opened the door for the future podcasts to be able to touch on such things in people's lives that nobody knows about. Definitely. Also, Maisie, obviously, um, lose an FA Cup winner and a sensational footballer. Is, do you remember seeing him play? Or I suppose I suppose you've known him a lot longer than the rest of us. I imagine there's a lot of people that wouldn't know Lou Macari, the footballer. No, probably not, because, you know, I think MUTV started in 99, was it? Something like that. But before, you know, Lou, I'm not quite sure when Lou would have finished, but it had been early 80s, so people really wouldn't know a lot about Lou. But I think looking back over his career, what a fantastic career is. You know, play for the biggest club in, in Scotland with Celtic and also the biggest club in England. And, you know, he's gone on to be a manager as well. And, and what he's doing now off the pitch is, is, is sensational as well. So you're looking at people that are genuine and honest and, and really good guys. Lou is certainly one of those. Anyone will disagree with that. Um, right, we can uh, have a look at a couple of the emails and then we'll get off, shall we? Yep, let's do it. Would you like to go first so or I, second, Helen? I will, I'll, I'll go first, Sam. Go for it. Andy Smith says, Hi guys, absolutely loving the podcast, especially with the former players. I think Ebra would be my favourite so far, but all of them are really entertaining and have made me laugh out loud as I drive to and from work. On another note, I actually had a night out with Maisie about 10 years ago. I came home from Australia for my cousin's stag do and Maisie and I were the last men standing, just, at a dodgy Indian in Middleton. It was a memorable night as one of us got to spend with and one got to be the next United player. Keep them coming. Love from Perth, Australia. Thank you very much, Andy. And night you probably don't really remember that much, actually, Maisie. Uh, I can't remember much of those, but it will either be the Akash or the Andaz in Med. Great restaurants. Is that the one you did that video in where you had to do that Indian meal interview? No, no, that was, um, that was the Indian Ocean. Now, if ever you was out in Med, it would either be the Akash or the Andaz. Well, it sounds like great fun. 
Great Coriolis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got an email from Brandon Nolan. He says, Hi, guys. My name is Brandon, and I'm a lifelong United fan living in the southeast of England. During the current pandemic, I've been working night shifts at my local supermarket, and to help pass the time when I'm working, I've started listening to the podcast, and I have to say I haven't been disappointed once. My favourite so far has to be either Uncle Pat or Juan Mata. Keep up the good work and stay safe. Brandon, thank you so much for listening. Um, hope uh, work's going all right tonight. Presumably that's when you're listening. Right, that's it. We are done for this week. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you all. We're going to do this again next week. We're going to have a look at another old episode. We'll talk you through it. Um, if you want to get involved, you can email us, unitedpodcast at mainunited.co.uk. That address is in the show notes as always. And don't forget, the best place to listen to the podcast is over on the official United app because you can watch them as well. What a ruddy treat. And the full back catalogue is there for free. See you next time.